When you have the opportunity and the ability to do good, said Yvonne Chenard, and you do nothing, that's evil. Evil doesn't always have to be an overt act. It can be merely the absence of good. Oh, Lord, you put me in this world to do something, so let me do it. I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and this is The Jewish Story. Season 6, Interlude, an interview with Rav Shmuley Yanklowitz. So I'm sitting here with Rav Shmuley Yanklowitz, educator, author, activist, and actually my host in this moment because I am not at home for the first time in a long time. I'm here in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for joining me on The Jewish Story. It's an honor to be with you. Honor. And, uh, be in conversation. Word. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, you know, before we dive into your vision of The Jewish Story, um, I want to know a little bit of your story. I've heard we have an association through various uh, I don't know, listservs and, and uh, other activities, and I've heard you perhaps describe yourself as a, a progressive Orthodox rabbi. And my curiosity is, is that most people would assume those two don't go together. Orthodox is like frozen. We don't question these things. And progressive is moving forward. How does it work? I love that question because that's at the heart of my Torah and ideology and worldview, my hashkafa, um, where, you know, Rav Cook talks about, um, we say, God is alive evolving, changing. I know this sounds heretical. And then Kayam, God is not changing and God is um, eternal and rock solid. And I think that that halachta bedrachav moment, that m- model of emulating the divine and being evolving and growing and, and adapting and also being really deeply rooted is really roots my life in terms of thinking each day, how do I be consistent in what matters to me most? My family, God, my my avoda, my, my spiritual work, and how do I continue to learn and grow and adapt? And, and I think of Kevyecho, um, like I have no idea what God is like, but that being a helpful model to think of it. So progressive orthodoxy sounds like an oxymoron to some, but for me, it's about how to be rooted and have wings. It's about being rooted in our ancient Masorah of, of halacha and, um, and just Talmud Torah and, and mitzvot, but also doing that in a way that is... Um, forward-looking. And I don't say forward-looking because that's trendy or because that's political, but forward-looking because um, I think that that's the actualization of what Torah is, that Torah is moving towards Mashiach. We're moving towards the light. Yes, there's Yeridat Adorot. There's the decline that we're getting further from truth, further from Bereshit, from, from creation, further from Sinai. We're, we're, we know less. We're less connected. I believe that. But then there's also this other narrative of like, we're getting closer to truth and to progress. And I think that we have to be pulled in both directions at once, in a sense. Part of that here is just the spiritual honesty, which is that if you look around in the world, there are truths which we build on, which remain unchanged, unchallenged, but the world never stops. Right, and so if we see the world as a reflection of the divine, so somehow we have to do both. Yeah, we have to do both, and that's really hard to do because progressives just want to move forward on whatever's the the new emerging thing. Traditionalists want to slow it back, but I think the integrity to live in the paradox, to live in the tension and the struggle of being pulled in multiple directions, and that's not some wishy washy let's all be centrist kind of thing. That's really or be or be predictable. It's really it's a notion that each of us has to respond to what we're seeing and what we're hearing. That was what our ancestors did. I mean, when we read the Torah, we see how adaptive they are mm-hmm. to the moment. 
So what's the biggest challenge you've faced personally in being able to hold these two very powerful poles into a life that has to be lived? You get up every morning and you have a family, thank God, and you, you do things. What's the biggest challenge you face? So there's the insecurity socially, there's the in- insecurity internally, and to uh, unhash the, uh, you know, uh, unpack those. The, the social one is that we live in a world of polarities where mm-hmm. either you're in, you know, a religious, political, progressive space, or you're in a religiously traditional space. And if you don't choose those, you're kind of out. You're kind of in a yeah. The Venn diagram doesn't overlap. <laughs> right. And so you're like, where's my community? Where's my people? If I'm not predictable, and I don't want to just have you know, be a bandwagon ideology. And then there's the there's the own Yerushalayim, kind of awe of the heavens of like, am I making the right choices? Because if all these people are choosing that and those people are choosing that, maybe I'm doing it wrong, you know? Um, and so, and not having always models or mentors that do it exactly when you do it. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm not a Das Torah guy where I just go to a Rebbe and ask my questions and do what they say. I respect people who want to do that. Nor am I a pure autonomy guy who says, I'm going to follow my gut. You know, I'm like, I want to be rooted, but also like critically thinking. And so, so how do you make that decision? Yeah. How did I, or how do I? How do you? I mean, it sounds like it's an ongoing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think um, I, I, you know, I, I, I actually believe that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is everywhere, mm. and in particular inside of us, mm-hmm. and that can lead to like an arrogance or like a miss, you know, fundamentalism. But I believe in like a humble way that like there are forces inside of us pushing us in directions that are divinely guided, mm-hmm. and um, that if we feel morally called to something or spiritually called, we should really pursue that. And uh, that's scary for a lot of people, but you know, I wouldn't be Jewish if I hadn't if I if I didn't believe that because it's like got me there. Yeah. So so that's my first answer. My my second answer is that I'm not a skeptic. I, I'm not someone who is paralyzed in skepticism, which says, "Oh, I don't know if there's a God, so don't pray." Right? I don't know if I'm making the right moral political choice, so don't go act. Say, I don't know, but you still got to act. Right. You still got to dive, and even though you know if it don't if it works, right? You still got to like do meets vote, even if if it's like. You don't know if if it if the impact is there. You know, I feel like there's the, the there's the skepticism of what's right, what's true, but then still the the, the sense that we have we have to have the hishkalta next to the and the emunada. Right, got to do the effort. Yeah. So how do I try to do that with a lot of difficulty? Um, but I would say just this constant cycle of act and reflect, act and reflect, and just be being on the dance floor and being on the balcony mm-hmm. and going back and forth and. Without the without tefillah and other spiritual practices, I don't know I could do it. Mm-hmm. So it it's on some level a constant return to self and saying like what what am I really being called to? Mm. And, and I hear in this a commitment both to self honesty, yeah, and to a tradition that exists outside of you that that you live in real awe of, and but not frozen by models you've inherited mm-hmm. or other people's ideas. Um, it sounds quite challenging. Yeah, it is. It is challenging. I, I'm I'm lucky in that um, I'm a little bit of a simple Jew. Uh-huh. In that, like, faith in God is easy for me. Like, a love for Torah is easy for me. Mm. For some people, those are real struggles. Like, right. struggle of faith and the struggle of of belief and of ritual. Those feel like just sweet to me. Mm. And that that's a real bracha, a real blessing for me because I know people really struggle with that. I think that. The difficulty is in trying to hold it all together because you use the word calling. And I, you know, it's funny, I was in a, a documentary when I was a rabbinical student called The Calling, where they followed me around along with some Christian students and some Muslim students. And 
Um, and at the first, it's like, oh, such a Christian term, the calling, like called, you know. But then I really can't believe this is a Jewish thing. Like you're called, and oh, I really, yeah. and you know, and I know you do a lot of work in the in the realm of the imaginative and mm-hmm. the realm of of just um, boundless potential potentiality, and I love that. And I also sort of feel like um, that the the ability or willingness to be called is the willingness to. Um, Imagine, you know, and see beyond what we can see. You know, the Ramban says that Moshe Rabbeinu missed the Sneinenu Ukal, the, the burning bush is right in front of Moshe Rabbeinu, and he can't even see it, Ramban says, because he hadn't spiritually prepared himself. If we don't prepare ourselves to see and hear, we can't even get there. So I partially view it as an Avodah Hashem, a service of God. I don't even know what that means, really. But I, I, I partially view it, and I hope this doesn't sound narcissistic, but a service of self in that the spiritual process expands me to see and feel like, that's not as hedonistic. It's because I want to live fully. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it, there's a greatness that every human being is capable of, and it's both frightening. Um, at the same time, it, it will find its way out one way or another. So, so I want to shift the scale a little bit because um, part of what I'm trying to do in this uh, subset of the Jewish story is, is explore what's happening today. And I know you move in a lot of worlds. Um, and I know also you're connected to a lot of people. So I'm curious what you see to be um, right now in the Jewish story writ large. Some of you feel to be a crucial part of the story that's not getting attention. Wow. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I love that question. Well, let's start with the emptiness because the two, the two narratives that carried us for so long, our great gra- trauma and our great glory of the 20th century. The Holocaust and the founding of Israel, as you know, were the two um, experiences and narratives that united the Jews for so long. And now those two uniting factors are two that divide us more than anything. Mm. That the conversation of the Holocaust is usually politicized, either for a hawkish conservative agenda or for a universalistic liberal agenda. The narrative around Israel is uh, more polarizing in Israel and out of Israel among Jews and beyond. And so just to grasp this notion that the biggest problem is a lack of a story, the lack of a cohesive narrative that we share collectively of who we are and where we're going. Um, and that's the, that's partially a crisis, but partially a great opportunity. Sure. And now we're all fighting to fill that space with what we think the dominant narrative should be. But I really love people having their own stories and figuring out if there's any way those stories can come together, um, to be heard together, to be listened to, to be listened to together, and potentially come together. And I think about that as a father, mm-hmm. because my children, you know, one of my children said to me recently when I was dropping them at a Jewish learning program, "I don't care about this the way you do." And I'm mm-hmm. like, "Oh, I was like, oh my gosh, oh, I've heard that first one. time you ever said this." Like, it's like, why don't you? Why isn't your story my story? Like, what do you mean? I've educated for your. I have the same story. Sure. And all of a sudden, like they're diverging paths, and that's scary for Jews. Like. Some Jews want every Jew to be the same. Right. Uh, I think you called it surplus of identity. Is that what you called it? A, no. a scarcity of scarcity identity. Scarcity of identity. I don't know that I have the chutzpah to say like the story I want to share is one I want every Jew to be thinking about um, because I think there's so many that are valid and important. But that wasn't your question. But the one that I think one of the ones that I want to have out there is really the one um, about our inner lives and how they reflect our outer lives. That, that sense that Whatever change we're working for in the world um, ha- is reflected just as deeply, ideally more, with our inner work. 
uh, the, through our midot, our character development, through our, our therapy and, and our reflective work, through our spiritual practices, that the stuff that's bothering us we're fighting for is just as deep. Like when the Besh says, the Baal Shem Tov says that the things that bother us most in the world are a mirror to our own souls, right? For us to really do that. And that, I think, um, will expand our imaginative capacities and our spiritual potentiality and our potential to be together. So in a sense, the piece that is most pressing, which isn't getting attention, is the link that both on a personal level and on a national level that we represent between the spiritual and the, the manifest and, and then taking seriously that as a, as a task, not as just an idea that's floating up there, oh, the Jews represent this or that. No, me personally, that, that I need to work in my life to make sure that the inner struggles and the outer actions are, are reflective of a vision for myself, for my people. And, and I think you're correct that, that we tend to think of mitzvot as things we do. And those of us who are concerned about the more inner aspects, be they the sort of therapeutic reflective or the sort of spiritual mystic, they, there's a disconnect. Yes. And what I hear you saying is that we should understand that there's a wholeness between the inner and outer worlds and we're tasked right. basically with building it. Right. Yes, I love the way you said that. And I think that... Um, I think that's part of the secret sauce of what the Jews bring to the world. Mm -hmm. um, that yeah, on the one hand, we're people of action. Almost all of our mitzvot are actions. The first thing we learn about God is Bereshit bar Elohim at the Shemayim v'Taras. So God creates. God acts. Action is what we who we are. And unfortunately, it's I mean, it's not till modernity that this reflective piece even becomes kind of pervasive. Of course, there were always spiritualists and the like, but until Freud, until modernity, until we have until we have this uh, the Musar movement the birth of Hasidut, I mean, this notion that we should all be doing that is really a new thing. Right. Again, there, I don't want to cast aspersions. Of course, there were Jews always doing that, but as but a... The as, rise of the subjective yeah, as yeah, a core yeah, part of the right, Jewish experience, right. the human experience, right. you're correct. It's right. a product of modernity. And one for, one for us to cherish. And, um, and I think that that enables us to not live with hypocrisy, that the things we're screaming about in the world that we're uprooting those same evils in ourselves. Mm. It enables us to understand that more than preaching, we're going to change the world by modeling, by just being the people we want to be. I know that's the people I've been most inspired by. Yeah. Not things they've taught me, but things I've seen them do. Mm -hmm. I think that that is a, is a crucial piece that I really want to repeat, is that on some level, the thing that's not getting attention is that the way they change the world is by modeling and not by preaching. I know our time is limited, so I want to push forward a little bit. There's a lot of talk today in the news about the relationship between American and Israeli Jewry. And I know this is another world where you have connections on both sides of the ocean, as we say. So what would you see that can be done to build deeper connection between American <laughs> yeah, and Israeli I Jewry? Love it. I, love your, I love your question so much. So let me just share who I am in that regard. Um, my Judaism really uh, became most robust through birthright. I was in the first year of birthright. Like the Zionist story was directly linked with my own kind of Jewish story. Mm -hmm. um, I then went on to live in the Haredi world. Um, in the, I was learning in a Lakewood Kolel in the ultra Orthodox world. Then lived in the religious Zionist settler world, living on a in a caravan on a hilltop for two years in in, in uh, Gush Etzion, and um, and also find myself in a lot of social justice progressive spaces where um, the relationship to Israel is very different than mine. And, um, and I really get all sides of it. I, I think of my friends who you know, proudly call themselves settlers or don't call themselves that, but, um, and I, and I love them and I, and I love the story they have to tell. And I think of my progressive activist friends and what they want to see for a perfectly just state of Israel in their mind and what that means to them. And 
boy, do I see the divides. Um, and, yeah. and I think the biggest divide I see is not actually what they think is right and wrong, although that's huge, is just having any interest in, in being in a relationship mm. um, whatsoever. Um, a kind of a, and a real kind of uh, embarrassment of the other. This progressive American Jew has no clue what's going on. They're on the sidelines. They don't see the truth. They don't live it. They don't have to sacrifice anything. They can say whatever they want. They're just doing it to be popular and be trendy, and they're assimilated. And on the other end, these are religious fundamentalists who are the most dangerous threat to Judaism of people who are oppressors and occupiers and people who are destroying everything we love about liberal Judaism. And I hear both of those sides, and I... I'm in those conversations and I feel homeless in both spaces and a love for both spaces. And, and, and I really think the motives for all of them, of course, there's tons in between there. Sure. And the motives for all of them are really good in terms of what they want, um, what they're pursuing. And, and I think that's the starting place is, is actually getting into a place where we can see that nobody's coming from um, a place to destroy, that people are coming from a place that's really constructive and um, just have really different worldviews that need to be understood. And, um, I don't know that the answer is is uh, is Ahavat Yisrael because uh, love of fellow Jew because I think that um, the progressive space at least is is a little bit post um, not only post nationalism but post peoplehood yeah um, so I think that connecting space is not on a love of fellow Jew but really of a love of similar values how can we find those same values that are manifest so differently and understand that we we both love that same value and let's find out what that meeting place is. I think there's a lot more in common than not. And part of what I hear in that assumption of commonality is it's also necessary to get open people's willingness. Like there's a risk. I think there's a risk that you left unstated in there. And the, and that's the sort of boldness I hear in your willingness to, although it sounds like you don't really have a choice internally, but your, your, your posture of living in multiple yeah. worlds. Um, and I'm curious, how do we get people to take a risk like that? You know, because I know people in both those spaces as well. And there is a lot of security and identity that assumes that the person who's opposing you is irrelevant or fundamentalist mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. ignorant or wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a risk in me opening myself to saying, wow, this person who's so strongly opposing me actually shares some of my core values. Mm-hmm. They might have insights on the questions that are important to me. How do you think you can get people to take that risk? Oh, my gosh. So I think that's the core of all of it. I just, I love, I love the work you do and I love the way you think about the world. I really, I really mean it. I think it's incredibly rare. I appreciate and, that. And so I appreciate the, the ways you're thinking about this stuff and your capacity to listen. And, um, and for me, I think it is doubling down on our Selim Elohim, our image of God, in the sense that we find our sense of worth internally and not our security in our external ideologies. Mm. If, if my worth is found in my political camp, my, my religious denomination, my ideology, my gosh, everything's at risk when that thing's attacked. Yep. But if I can I reach a stage of adult development where my sense of worth and value is so deep that um, any threat or risk to the stability of those ideologies, it doesn't touch my core. Mm. That's real spiritual work. Now, I think that white supremacy in America produced... Um, uh, a sense that our value is based on what we produce. You're only worth what you can produce in the world, You're, what you get paid for a job, right. right? what you produce for the system or the economy. And I think for us to break away from that kind of American capitalistic ethos into this radical spiritual approach of self-worth, I think that is part of what it might take to um, be more comfortable with an identity that feels like it puts our identity at risk. But I'm curious what you think about that. Well, first I want to make sure I, yeah. I heard you correctly, yeah. which is that what it happens is when one roots in a sense of intrinsic worth of self, 
then you can have ideologies and ideas. But if your identity does, doesn't hinge on them, then when it's challenged, it doesn't shake you into that sort of um, fight or flight response because identity becomes a life or death issue on that level. And I, it, you, you left it unstated, but I think I understood that you're also then able to see the intrinsic worth in the person who opposes you if you don't define them by their belief. Right. It's not a utilitarian value-oriented, right. what can you produce, right. how do you right. help forward what I'm after, but rather, oh, look, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the difficulty there is, I love how you said that, um, the difficulty there, of course, is the need to do healing first because yes. if we have trauma, if we're led by trauma, then... Um, Nothing's safe. So you, you asked me what I thought, and that was exactly uh, where I was going uh, to go. Because I see a lot of what's happening today as trauma response. Yes. And, and, and I think that the, the, the very ability to bring Israeli Jews and American Jews together and have Jews begin to speak to each other about the very different strategies, consciously or not, that we've chosen both for survival yeah. and together with that for digesting our trauma will open up the fact that we're playing out yeah. The same story, the same Jewish story, same human story, right. um, in very different ways, right. and right. that we have what to offer each other. Right, I love that, and it's and it's um, it's not only the tra- the collective traumas, the, the the most extreme ones of violence and existential survival, it's the personal ones. I mean, what kid didn't grow up feeling that they're not fast enough and strong enough and beautiful enough and smart enough? The traumas of childhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess I I we probably met some people who somehow dodged that. But in my experience, most people I've met, most certainly myself, the trauma of just um, living in a messy world that's oftentimes cruel. Like you said, of not being enough. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. rooting itself in a yeah. sense of the divine abundance yeah. right. is, a, is a first step, which, yeah. is, which is excellent. I, well, I know your time is short. I want to ask yeah. you one last great, question, great. wrap some things up, yeah. um, which is, you know, what do you see ahead? What would you say is the, the chapter heading for the next phase of the Jewish story, if not in absolute the one that excites you and i want you to keep in mind that that there's an audience out there of, of jews and christians progressives conservatives uh religious and not um so something you feel like people could take away yeah yeah absolutely so i think that um there's so much toward to, to to draw from here but this notion of the self the family the community the nation the um global humanity the cosmos and zooming out and and having to think about that question on all spheres mm. and the interconnectedness of a spiritual revolution where we find that oneness, we find that interconnectedness to be shalem and uh, to be whole and to produce shalom, to produce a sense of peace through that connectedness as opposed to this world of division. And I think that that's a great contribution that Jews can help to make in a sense of a lot of our systems of modernity have crashed or are crashing and we can't root our confidence in them, but in something much deeper. And so we, we've come so far as Jews, man, if we only had American Jewish power, we'd, we've come so far. If we only had Israeli sovereignty, we've come so far. But now to think about the next stages of how do we leverage our power, our privilege, our opportunity um, for actualization, the actualization of, of Jewish culture, the actualization of Jewish values in the broader sphere, to not just be on the defensive of anti-Israel um, stuff and anti-Semitic endeavors. Of course, we have to fight those, but also to be on the offense, so to speak, of putting good out in the world, of building bridges around around wisdom traditions, building wisdom, uh, excuse me, spreading good around supporting the vulnerable. 
And I think we're doing that. But I think that next level is that spiritual level of, of, of exactly what you talked about, of how we see each other, of how we can understand each other. And doing that in a way that neither goes into this force of unity, um, that we are same, the same, nor of kind of radical polarities, of all, just radical difference, but holding on to the, that uniqueness and loving it. You know, it's like if, 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 um, uh, if, if the flood story was about radical difference, nobody would unite and that being a, a big problem. And then the Tower of Babel being the opposite, total unifi- unification of, and uniformity. It's like f- figure, though, figuring out those sins, those sins of, of, uh, of not enabling authenticity, but a, a plurality at the same time. And so I'm really excited about that. And that, that includes a whole lot of stuff. It includes oh, yeah. Torah and Meets Vote, it includes Israel, it includes like spiritual practices, but it also goes beyond it as well and um, enables us to come together to listen. And I think that your podcast and your work are the best testament to that of, and because it really starts with listening. It really, what you do in, in, as a counselor, what you do as a host of this great podcast, which you, which you model in your life. And I think that we live in an age where everyone's got a microphone and everyone is yapping. And, <laughs> and with all um, respect to that, because there's a lot of great voices to hear, I think this ability to truly listen and be transformed is, is what you're modeling for us. So if I had to bring it together, then the next chapter is taking a proactive stance with the power and privilege yes. that history has granted us at this yes. phase yes. To, um, to bring the world together, not in sameness, but in harmony. Yes. And to bring, to bring your Torah from last night, which I heard, that be robust wherever you fall out. Yeah. Fight for something. Just don't fall into the trap of, of giving up. Yeah. Um, follow your truth. All right. Amazing. Rav Shmuley Yankowitz. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. Uh, and if folks want to hear more of this Torah from Rav Shmuley, what's the best way they can find you? Oh my gosh, so many ways. Um, there are a few podcasts we have through Valley Beit Midrash. I give a weekly class on philosophy class. And um, I've got TikTok account, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all, the, all that stuff. And um, my organizations are Uri Litzedek, Valley Beit Midrash, Yatom, and Shemayim, and Torah Chayim. All right, excellent. So thanks so much. I want to thank also all the people who give their hard-earned money to make the show happen, keep it free, widely available. You can join them now. Go to jewishstory.co. There's a button upper right-hand corner. Click on that. Give a little bit per podcast support. Be in, be in touch. Rob Mike Foyer, gmail.com. Find me on Facebook. I also like to thank the Land of Israel Network. That's thelandofisrael.com. They're building a center for global transcendence in the heart of the Judean mountains. I want to thank the Pardes Institute, P-A-R-D-E-S.org.il, for throwing the doors of the Beit Midrash open as wide as possible. And I want to thank you for listening. I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and this is The Jewish Story.